0: All cylinders firing. Got it.
1: (laughs) All right, guys, welcome to Books in the Biz. We are here with my friend Rich Beltre, who is the Books. I am Dan Paulson. I am the Biz. And we're going to be talking about a lot of different things today, mainly centered around the economy. And are we actually going into recession? So Rich and I have been talking about this. And, um, you know, what's what's interesting here, and I'm just going to pull this up for us to review Rich because this is just came out recently. Um has nothing to do directly with the US, but has a lot to do with the US in the future. Because as many business owners know, we get a lot of products from China. There's a lot of trade that goes back and forth, more trade coming from than going to. Um, But we are finally starting to see the effects of of you know what happened in the last couple years. Um, I think is is impacting them worse because they had a more of a totalitarian, totalitarian lockdown than we did. Um, mm-hmm. But we're also seeing companies kind of divest away from that. And you being the money guy here, I can always jump in on you know what we need to do operations wise. But I I think we need to talk about monetarily how this affects businesses because most of the businesses we work with aren't Amazon or IBM or, you know, any of these large companies that have billions upon billions of dollars, you know, they typically feel it first before we do. So why don't you kind of explain what you know about economies, recession numbers, and and we'll just kind of go from there. Sure. Um, Well, I think that
0: Let's start off with just kind of a general comment. I think that the there is a lot of difficulty because people like us have come up through the ranks and looked at when somebody said, oh, we're heading into a recession. And there was kind of a natural response to that. And I think the biggest outlying problem going on right now is that people don't actually have the same reactions and they probably shouldn't have the same reactions. When we came up through the ranks, you know, the, you know, economies were of a certain type and now they're completely different. It's like when people look back and they say, well, you know, the, the constitution was written by farmers back, you know, 250 years ago (laughs) and the world is different now. Well, even now the, the world is moving so much faster that I think, looking at some of these articles and everybody talking about recession, it becomes really hard to figure out what does that mean now? Yeah. Um, One of the articles you sent me and I, I, you know, I'll just throw it out there. I think their first sentence sentence was something to the effect of, you know, the economy is weird. (laughs) I mean, this is the journalist, right? Writes down. Was it this one? (laughs) I think it might've been, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But it was one of them that, you know, the economy is weird. And I think they're 100 percent correct. As short as that sentence is, it's 100 percent correct. You've got no unemployment, but you're telling me that we're seeing recession factors. Well, where? Mm -hmm. Show me where. I can I can point out certain things that are telling me something's weird. And I agree with the article even more. But, you know, I think that um, we have to look at it almost in a different light than we would have 10 years ago.
1: Here's where I think the biggest difference is, at least because I have clients asking me about this all the time. I have one client that asks me every week, what's happening? Are we moving into recession or not? And, you know, early on when inflation started going through the roof, I'm like, "Yeah, you know, something's going to happen within the next couple of months. But here's the thing that you also need to be aware of is we don't have enough employees to fill any of the jobs that we have right now. I think what we're still four and a half to 5 million jobs more than we have employees to, to actually do the work. And I'm like, y- y- if you lose 5 million jobs, you- you're not talking about a recession. You're talking about depression. And we, d- we never want to get that bad because I had several clients and prospects talk to me. Oh, I can't wait till this recession hits. they will free up some employees and I'll I'll actually have some people to work for me. And I'm like, yeah, it ain't going to happen. Not anytime soon. Because there's just so few employees and so many jobs open. And I mean, I don't know what it's like out in New York, but, you know, here there's still an unemployment or there's still a uh, work uh, help wanted signs up everywhere. What are you seeing? Yeah,
0: I see the same thing. And I I have clients that are across the country too. And they basically are saying, you know, it's just amazing because usually you can find someone to do Something Some kind of you know, <laughs> something, you know. Depending on what they're looking for, yep. I mean, from distribution to healthcare to accounting, you know, these people are all saying the same thing. There's just there's nobody that wants to work, and the people that you do find to work are kind of dictating, you know, mm-hmm. how they're going to work and 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 what they're going to be willing to do. So, you know, it's a, it's a strange new world.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that is a a different thing. And and I think we've seen that really shift in the last decade because it used to be, you know, even coming out of 08, people were fearful for losing their jobs. So they would do pretty much anything. They would double down on the amount of work. And that's where a lot of these companies, you know, for several years after the recession, they didn't really turn on the hiring button right away because they said, well, you know, I've got these employees, I'll just make them do twice the amount of work they were doing before and we'll be fine. And because people were scared of losing their jobs, they just kind of hunkered down and and did it until jobs started freeing up again. So about the mid-teens, I think then we saw the world kind of shift a little bit, didn't we? Because now jobs were growing at a faster rate. Um, companies were realizing they couldn't just keep loading more stuff on people. So then they started hiring more. But then you had this other thing happen, which was people started retiring. And we had, you know, I don't think there's any boomers left in the market anyway. Um, if they are, they they probably need to get out at this point because they're in their <laughs> 70s or 80s. And as I say that, I'm thinking of my mom who's still working, but that's another story. Uh, <laughs> but then you have the Gen Xers. You know, so that's yeah. us. And and we have, yeah. you know, the the earlier versions of the Gen Xers have started leaving the workforce and there just isn't the volume of people or experience to jump back in. I think that's the key thing there is, you know, I'm seeing more of the frontline jobs being filled now than were before. But yeah. you mentioned engineering, you mentioned accounting a lot of the professional technical jobs we just don't have the staff or we have the training for because um you know people have gone to college but they haven't gone to college to necessarily fill the jobs that are opening trades for example trades is is very difficult right now because most kids went to a four-year college. They didn't go to a trade school. They didn't go to the union shop or they didn't go to a tech college to learn skills like welding or construction or plumbing or electrical. And and those are the jobs that are really open right now and they'll often pay better.
0: Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, you're definitely right. Especially I can speak specifically to accounting. I can speak specifically to professional trades and, you know, they're changing up how they're hiring. They're changing up where they're finding people. And it's not all the U.S. And it's Mm -hmm. unfortunate that they're going that way. But, you know, it's where they're kind of forced to go. I had heard that some of the the really big accounting firms are actually, you know, recruiting people in high school. And they know they still have to go to college and they have to get ready to take the CPA exam, which nowadays actually takes a five-year degree rather than a four-year degree. (laughs) And so they're already telling people in high school, hey, come work with us. And it's insane to see that because you're talking to a 15, 16-year-old who really doesn't know what they want to do with their life. <laughs> and so now that's who you're forced to recruit to because the people in college have already kind of
1: been either spoken for
0: mm-hmm. or conditionally spoken yep. for. I've got one better know?
1: for you. I, have okay. a, I know a plumbing company that is going to grade school. They put together a grade (laughs) school program to get kids just used to working with their hands. They know there's a long shot that these kids are actually going to turn into plumbers, but they're showing them that there are other things that they can do as they advance, you know, through their their schooling that maybe doesn't go down the traditional path of of a four-year college. So the idea is you get in front of them really early. And we were talking about this a couple of weeks ago. You get them from really early and and introduce them to some of these things. So you might have boys or girls that are more, you know, they're interested in doing things with their hands instead of just, you know, working on a computer or whatever. And they're trying to get them so that when they're into middle school and high school, they're already starting to think of, of the trades as a possible track for their careers. Because they said we started going to high schools and it was too late. Because they've already kind of, I know you're saying, well, they they don't know what they want to do yet, but they've already kind of made up their mind if they're going to go to college or not, and they get a lot right. of push to go to a four year degree. So it's like, well, we want to get in front of them before they're even thinking about that. So here we go, we're going right down to the to the height or the grade school level to do it. So there's that.
0: <laughs> Un unreal. Actually, though, I'll be honest with you, I'm impressed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very impressed. Because, you know, I have a I have a son, 16. It's kind of like, OK, what do you want to do? What are you thinking about? And it's it's a rough age to try mm-hmm. to make them adults before they're done being kids. And so, you know, you want to help them figure it out because the cost of a four year college, you're kind of like, I, I don't want to digress too much here. But, sure. you know, you're sitting there and like, are you going to get a return? on? Yeah. <laughs> like, are you going to you know, are you going to come out making, you know, I don't know. I, I have no idea how to predict the, predict the future for this kid. Like, so anyway, I, like I said, I don't want to digress too far, but you know, it's the trade school stuff. I, I had talked to a client the other day and he's like, Oh, I just hired my, my nephew. And I said, Oh, really to do what? Well, he just came out of mechanic school. Yeah. So he's going to fix all their trucks. Yep. And I'm like, how brilliant is that? <laughs> like, fabulous you know he didn't want to go the four-year college route he went to mechanic school and now he knows everything about vehicles so he's fixing you know dump trucks and and uh you know anything else that has you know metal and big tires i mean
1: it's great yep and i know he will be printing money doing that because my brother does that stuff and he's now a shop manager somewhere so and he'll tell me the same thing he can't find enough mechanics to to keep their keep up with their workload because there's just too much right now so yep you're writing your ticket on some of these some of these jobs if you're just willing to get your hands dirty so micro had something right there uh you definitely mm-hmm. have to look beyond just the the textbooks and the tablets and, and see if there's something else you can do yeah totally agree
0: um yeah, but I think the to, to kind of jump back and, and get rid of my digression.
1: <laughs> we'll regress now um, or, or forward.
0: You know, yeah, we'll, re, we'll regress back to uh, to the topic. But I think I think the thing that's funny is, you know, the old uh, – I, I get nervous when everybody says, well, here's how we measure, you know, here's how we measure something. Mm-hmm. And so a I think it's a two-quarter consistent decline in the GDP along with – some degree of change in um, unemployment is I think the technical definition of how everybody decides if we're in a recession or not, mm-hmm. which bothers me because now you're trying to tell me that I got a growing GDP. Mm-hmm. It might not be growing enormously fast, but it's growing and I have low unemployment. Why are we talking about recession? <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think, comparing it to recently reading the articles that everybody says, oh, look how fast the earth is is, uh, is heating up. Mm-hmm. And then it gets disclosed in the third paragraph that they changed how they actually are measuring. Bingo. <laughs> okay, And so I'm looking at it and I'm saying, well, why are we changing one and not changing another? Right. If we're supposed to change it so that we can determine better whether or not we're in a recession or not, then let's change it, but nobody's changing that one. So why is why is it so important to keep that one consistent? But then other things, when it works for you, you can consistently change it. Right. Nobody's disputing the fact that the Earth is warming up. We get right. it, okay? But it's not warming up as fast if you go by the old consistent following of the statistics. Right. So you know, is it going up? Yes. Not disputing what you're telling me except don't tell me it went up 20 degrees because you changed how you measure it. Okay. <laughs> yep. When it really went up four degrees, which is, yes, it's a problem. We have to talk about it. 20 degrees is, Oh my God. Yep. Okay. So recession, same thing. I think for me, you know, throwing this out to to you for your mm-hmm. comment too. I mean, I'm looking at it from the standpoint of do people need to panic, you know, or is this just kind of the function of new, factors that we're not taking into consideration China deflation that you just talked about you know the um the pandemic still has a residual effect whether we like it or not it still has a
1: residual effect well the other thing we haven't mentioned yet which has also happened is the U.S. economy or the U.S. uh, credit has been downgraded right yep so who did that was it Standard & Poor's or which one was it uh uh my gut says it was Fitch I think you're right I I think you're right I think it was Fitch that
0: did it. Um, you know, but again, absolutely. I mean, what, what is the implication? I mean, to me, I, I tend to be a little bit more of a, um, uh, optimist. Mm -hmm. And so I try to tell people, look, be ahead of the game, understand that these things are happening, but don't hide in your closet. Don't, you know, lock the door and never come out of your house and do things like some people love to kind of jump into panic mode. Yep. And I say, look, see how, you know, number one, you really, again, some of the things that you and I always talk about for our clients is, you know, um, make sure you analyze your own business and make sure what you're vulnerable to. Um, are you a B2B? Are you B2C? Uh, business to business versus business to, you know, consumer. Yep. Um you know, how are you selling your product? Who's buying it? You know, are you uh, susceptible because of price increases? Because one of these biggest things that's going on here is people are still spending money, but stuff has gone way up in price. Yeah. And, you know, and the cost of the money they're using to buy it is way higher. Why isn't that a factor in recession? Um, but, anyway, <laughs> um, I'm rambling a little bit, but they, these are the things that I'm thinking about when I hear the R word. Well, I think it was a factor
1: in recession, but they changed, they changed what they measured too. um, <laughs> don't quote me, you know, I, I haven't dug up the information on it, but a lot of the things that we see as being directly recessionary related due to inflation, um, that was back in the eighties and then they changed the rules of what they tracked. So a lot of things they're tracking, of course, don't make it look as bad as it is. But, you know, when you're right. paying $4 for eggs that you're paying 59 cents for, you know, just a, two years ago, something obviously has changed. Um, you know, yeah. what What I see here, what I all I get is what I hear from clients and mm-hmm. clients and prospects. And, you know, in some industries, they're still going strong, like construction, still going all out from what I can tell. Um, mm-hmm. there really hasn't been a slowdown on at least residential and around here. Anyway, residential related to multi family. So, uh, you know, apartment complexes because Madison's growing by leaps and bounds. We have Epic systems there, which, uh, you know, which is all the electronic medical records and they add about 1,000 a thousand jobs a year. So there's always a shortage of housing, right. um, Commercial might be slowing down a little bit, but commercial projects, as you know, you know they're financed before they're in the ground, so most of these guys are two to three years out, yeah. and they have projects lined up that are all you know money's already committed, so there's no turning back from that right um to me, the biggest issue is the the amount we're paying now can it keep up with the amount we have to pay employees, as we've talked about you know the employees kind of are ruling the roost at the moment because we have a need for more bodies than we have, you know, bodies to fill. So they, they can kind of call the shots to some degree. Um, And what's that going to do? And that's really kind of where, you know, as I was thinking about this and we were talking about this for a topic today is really how does it get down to what it means to the people that we work with and the people that we want to work with, how does it affect them? and you know getting downgraded by fitch by a you know from a triple a plus to a double a plus or whatever or a triple a or whatever they they downgrade us to doesn't mean anything really to you or i or anybody that we tend to work with but at some point that's going to flow down you know as much as we say trickle down doesn't work in a way, it does because anything that happens up top eventually gets far enough down the food chain that it is going to impact the business owners. And then finally, it impacts, uh, you know, the general public. And, I, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Is, what is it we really should be looking at from a financial bend to say, hey, this is something we, you really want to be proactive about?
0: Um, I guess I really only have one comment to that. I think that for the most part, I've seen a lot of companies that never get affected by the rating on U.S. government debt. Um, Now, that could change at any point, especially if we went more than down from, you know, AAA plus to AAA. I mean, really, (laughs) do I care? (laughs) You know, Um, except for the fact that, you know, where that has an impact on cost of funds. So where you're going to have an interest impact, um, you need to be ahead of that part of it. So we talked uh, on, on one of our other episodes, we talked about commercial projects and commercial properties and the fact that debt for them is actually short term debt, because it's on a long term amortization, but it gets paid quickly. So there's a balloon. Right. So you might only you might have to refinance your debt every three years on a commercial building. Right. right. But it's it's sold to you as a 30 year payment. But in three years, you have to refinance. And that's how the banks control you having to come back and ask them for more. And they adjust your interest rate. Right. OK. So if interest rates are rising in three years, you're up against a refinance at a higher interest rate. And then they look at your credit worthiness and everything else. And you got to hope that you've managed your business well enough that you're not going to run into a problem there. Um, And you may still, because the interest rates are subject to market, not necessarily you. It's partially you, but it's mostly market. So,
1: Well, and um, then there's rental agreements, which if the rental agreements are stretching longer than that refinance, Mm -hmm. So your, your money out goes up faster than your money coming in. You're now upside down on a project. Yeah.
0: So, so now you have to, this is why I'm saying to everyone, look, make sure you understand your business, make sure you understand your finances, because when these things happen, you don't have to be reactive. You can look at them now and be proactive and make sure that you've done everything possible, that when that happens, you already know it's going to happen. You're already in control. You're not at that point where, oh, in order to actually get my refi, I have to lay off 10, 20, 30 people or I have to do something else that's really drastic. That's reactive. And I think that the more that people actually see that if you're proactive as opposed to reactive, you don't have to worry about the R word. You know, <laughs> or, you know, and that right
1: there is the key because... Yeah. By human nature, we tend to be more reactive on on issues than proactive, and mm-hmm. I'm sure you've experienced this too. You've talked to a client, and you've, you've addressed or you've uncovered several issues that they need to address to improve, and if they improve them, it avoids a lot of future problems. Yeah. But as I also tell people, money hides a lot of problems. If you're making bank yeah. right now, and you're busier than snot, and you you have all sorts of work in front of you. You'll be like, I won't deal with that. Now I'll deal with that when I have time. Well, mm-hmm. when do you have time? When things slow down, when things slow down, do you then have the resources to do it? The answer is often no, right. because, well, I mean, look at like, '08. everything hit pretty much within a matter of months. There wasn't Absolutely. an opportunity to pivot if you weren't already watching what was going on in the market and making a, a decision to move. So, that's what gets to be most frustrating on my end, and I guess this is where I'll get on my soapbox and rant a little bit, is Is if you see something that needs to be fixed, take action to fix it. Either fix it yourself or bring in somebody who has the capability and the knowledge to help you do it. Because you will, that money you spend now will save you money and possibly save you losses in the very near future if something were to turn around. Right. Because- I haven't checked under your bed, but I don't believe you have a crystal ball any more than I do. <laughs> no. uh, if I did, I would have probably won the lottery this week if if that had happened. But, right. you know, the reality is we can't predict what's going to happen. So we can sit here and talk about recession all day long and we can see, yeah. watch interest rates keep going up. I still see people buying houses and building houses and interest rates are the highest they've been in, what, 20 plus years. And people are yeah. still doing it. You know, they're paying... I know what a five hundred thousand dollar home they're paying twice as much as they were you know yeah. by the time you factor in interest payments and everything as as they would have been just in 2019, 2020. right um so again, you've got to really look at what you're doing and say how do we get more efficient? How do we look at our books and say <laughs> we're spending money I'll hand this over to you, but you know how are you spending money but on my end optimization as much as possible. So where you can't fill jobs that you can automate, maybe it's time to look at that now, whether it's a robot, whether it's software, whatever it might be, it might be time to to look at different ways to fill that in. It's also time to look at your product mix, what products are selling, what products are, I'll call it safe, which don't, right. aren't necessarily recession proof, but very recession resistant. You know, do you put more energy and effort into those things and look at the dogs and say, look, we, we just can't afford to to build or make these anymore and and start looking at that product mix and and refining that. Um, you know, it's making sure your staff is working as efficiently as possible. We don't want to get in a situation where, you know, we're doubling down on, on work on a single employee because it's, again, it's too easy for them to walk. You got to create a great culture. You got to create an environment where people want to show up. And it's very easy to neglect that when everything's busy and everything's humming along and you have more than enough people. But I have yet to find a company right now that hasn't told me that they could use somebody else, you know, and and usually it's multiple somebody else's. It's not just one Mm -hmm. person. It's a multitude of people to get the job done. So there's that. But, you know, from the financial side, what are you typically looking at on their books to say, Hey, here's where we need to start. And maybe this is, this is something you should look at changing about your finances to put more money into your pocket. Um, Yeah, I think that uh, from my standpoint, I
0: love to look at a full set of financials. It's very common that a new client wants me to look at something and their profit and loss statement. And (laughs) that's all great, except for the fact that it only tells me one piece. And I'm looking for at least three. Um, So I always want to see what your cash flow statement looked like, what your balance sheet looked like. And, you know, they tell me different things. So it's not that I have to have one versus the other, but it's they tell me different things. So overall, I still want to see all three. Um, And I think that there's an awful lot of owners out there who love to look at revenue and they assume that because the revenue is there, everything is good.
1: Or Uh, I have money in my bank account. Therefore, my checks will cash. Therefore, things are good. (laughs)
0: Yeah, I I had I had one owner years ago who tried to tell me that it was the um, he operated on the barrel theory, which was he threw all the money into a barrel and then spent all the money out of the barrel, and if there was money left in the barrel, he did good. And I said, <laughs> "Wow." <laughs> um, and five years later, he was in bankruptcy court. Yeah. So, um, so I can't you know I can't tell you that that was a good theory, but I think there's too many people that kind of Run on that theory, it's a little bit of from the hip and you know, oh I, the
1: number of businesses that don't know their books don't even yeah. look at their books. I know there there's a comp- or a business a business owner I started working with last fall um, very profitable, good cash flow service business uh, and I asked her about her books you know do what's your numbers? Oh, I don't like working with the numbers. Well, guess what now we're looking at those numbers every month. We yeah. put together a budget and we built the budget based off of our previous numbers. And then we yeah. we forecasted ahead and said, okay, well, this is what you're going to do this year. Oh, well, I spend a lot of money in this. Okay, well, should you be spending a lot of money in that? And can we space yeah. that money out? Because there's also a technical side to her business that she's been investing in heavily. I'm like, there's a lot of cash going out here now. We got to try and figure out ways to control that a little bit better. And now she's coming to me and she's looking at the numbers and saying, okay, I know what this is for. I'm not sure why we did this or we seem to be spending too much here. So now she's starting to answer her own questions. And that's really where you want to be, where you know what's coming in, you know what's going out, you know how it's impacting your business, and you know where those ups and downs are. Because she also had a month where she thought she was going to have all this money and her P&Ls actually showed a loss. Well, did she actually have a loss? No, it was a difference in accounting because she had at that month more payroll going out. Then she had revenue coming in. The revenue was there, but based on how revenue flows in her business, she saw the complete flip. So this month, it all came back because now she had fewer payroll weeks, but she had more more revenue coming in because all those bills that she had, had sent out now were being paid. Um, and a lot of companies just don't understand that cash flow and how things go. And I, I appreciate you saying you need to look at the cash flow report and see how money moves yeah. in and out. Because if you're not, you could end up in a situation where there ain't any money left in that barrel or the second barrel or the third barrel. And now mm-hmm. you're in a dire situation. And, and at that point, neither one of us can help you, right? Yeah,
0: And you got to find somebody else then. Yeah. And I think the other important part of that, too, is, yes, look at your cash flow statement. But then look at your cash flow statement again, as you mentioned. Don't just don't just say, well, I just did my nine month cash flow statement. I'll wait another nine months to look at it again, (laughs) because the other thing you really have to be ready to understand is if the trend doesn't look right. Then you need to ask, Um, you know, I think that, you know, you you start to learn when you start to see it actually happen, because if you're just running with normal financial statements every month and you're looking at it and everything looks normal, great. It's when something goes out of whack, they will show up. You'll see it. Um, I always remember back in, we were talking about the, the banking crisis, 2007, 2008. And I was working with a company that was a distri- distribution company. They had chemicals in a warehouse. And we were heading towards the end of the year because that crisis started heading into fourth quarter. And the, the product was brought in by ship. Mm. So we had to buy in advance of the Christmas holiday because they had shutdowns and all of a sudden we're looking at the numbers and saying, "Um, has anybody looked at the inventory lately? (laughs) Because we had ordered all this inventory to come in for that fourth quarter and all the big companies that were getting hit with the, you know, the Lehman Brothers news and everything else of all the, the impact that went directly to some of these larger companies, orders were being canceled Mm. because they expected that to immediately become a problem and manufacturing to, to slow. And so we had started to look at our inventory numbers and looked at how much inventory we had. We had a couple of years of inventory in the warehouse. (laughs) And so it was that fast. Yeah. You know, so, so that trend happened that fast that we had to stop our own orders because we weren't going to sell it. And we couldn't go much higher because we had a two-year shelf life. So Mm. you start getting into some of these stories of realizing how important it is to know your numbers. And then from there, the financials give you the history and you can use that to predict the future. So, you know, you got to look at the trend. You can't just look at it as, well, we'll get to it
1: at, at year end. Might be too late. Don't do that. Exactly. I think that brings us to a good point here as we're wrapping up, you know, what's, what's your take on the recession? So if you had to boil it down into a couple sentences, what would you be telling people right now?
0: Um, Know your numbers, check your numbers. Don't go into panic over recession, but understand that there's a threat. We'll call it a threat. We'll We'll call it a set of factors that could change how things get done. So know your numbers, you know, think about what you're doing. Don't do anything frivolously, big projects, whatever. Um, and if you don't get regular reports out of your systems and understand where you stand, um, give, give somebody a call. <laughs> give somebody a call. I'll, I'll take the call. You can call me. But um, But definitely get to the point where you really know your numbers so that you can be proactive as opposed to reactive.
1: Yep. And I will add to that, because I agree with knowing your numbers, but also optimize everything all the time. You know, we tend to work in in spurts where we will do things when we believe it's it's necessary. And like I said, reactionary. So as you pointed out, all of a sudden these sales dry up, and now we got all this product, what are we going to do? Well, we should have plans in place already. We should have plans in place for hiring. We should have a strategy in place for how we constantly are working on the efficiency of our business to make it easier for our staff and also to minimize hiring. Because like I said, there's not enough people to fill the jobs. If you think they're magically going to appear, you're wrong. If you're going to wait for a recession to come along to get those employees, well, how far down the hole do you have to go before it frees up enough employees? And right now I will tell you, it will freaking scare you if we have to go that low. So you've really got to figure out different ways to optimize your team, Optimize your process, optimize your work, optimize your sales, which then all ties back to what you're talking about with, with the financials. The efficiencies here lead to the efficiencies there. And that's where, uh, shameless self-plug for both of us, we, we can come in and help you if you have any questions about it because it's cheaper to pay it now than it will be when you are in dire straits and now it, it's a fire sale if you're going to survive. Agreed. Agreed. So that is pretty much it for this episode for Books in the Biz. Uh, Mr. Books, Rich, how do they get a hold of you? Best place to reach me is by email rveltry at veltrygroup.com. And you can get a hold of me at Dan Paulson. Let's go. Just fill out the form, sign up, get a meeting, schedule with each one of us. If you have any questions, reach out. Also, like, subscribe, and hit the notifications if you're watching us on YouTube. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast because you don't like watching our ugly mugs on YouTube, please go to our (laughs) podcast at booksinthebiz.com. Well, it's not .com. I take that back. I need to get that set up. But go to uh, your favorite podcast directory. And if it's Apple, look up Books in the Biz. You'll find us there. And until next week, Rich, sayonara. Sayonara.